Welcome to the sermon podcast for Canton Church, a campus of Mount Perrin North. We exist to help people live a Christ-centered life, especially those disconnected from Christ. And we hope you are encouraged by today's message. Well, happy Easter. You know, Easter is an incredible day that we celebrate for so many reasons. And uh, you guys look great. It, it's one of the great things about Easter is everybody gets dressed up and looks nice. I don't normally dress like this. So if some of you are uncomfortable in your outfit, I promise you no more so than I am. I told some folks earlier I get dressed up like this for three reasons. One, the bride and groom that I am marrying asked me to. Two, someone died. Or three, Jesus came back to life. Um, and so, but you guys look great. Easter's a big day. A few weeks ago, I had another big day. Some of you may have experienced the same kind of excitement that I did. It was just a few Mondays ago. It was the national championship game for men's college basketball. And my favorite team, the North Carolina Tar Heels, were in that game against, I call them Gonzaga. I'm told to call them Gonzaga. I'm not really sure why. But they were playing against Gonzaga, and uh, these two teams were battling it out. And my favorite team, North Carolina, had had a great tournament run. They had a lot of close games. They had a lot of back-and-forth games in the tournament. It was, it was very tight, and a lot of those games, we didn't know if they were going to win until right at the very end, and they won. And It was incredible as we celebrated victory, so we show up to the national championship game, and uh, you know, that, that night, I didn't get to watch that game on the big screen television at my house because we were on vacation for spring break. And so when I looked at the dates for spring break, I realized that's the night of the national championship game, and I want to be able to watch it. I'm hoping and, and, and believing that North Carolina will make it to the game. And so when I booked the little condo there at the beach, I saw that in the little living room, they had a big screen TV. At least that's what they said. I would not call that a big screen by any definition of the word big that I know. And so I watched the national championship game on the little screen TV in the little living room in the little condo that we rented there with my wife and our four kids. And I cheered on North Carolina as they played against Gonzaga. And man, it was back and forth. It was, it was so tight. Like we would be up a few points. They would be up a few points. We would be up a few points. They would be up a few points. It never really got very far away from one another in the score. And about halfway through the second half, I mean, it was so nerve-wracking. And everybody was just kind of on edge. And Corey looked at me with all the compassion that she could muster. And she said, I hate this. I'm so nervous. I don't even care what happens in this game, but I'm so nervous. And I was like, I love this. This is so exciting. And man, I was nervous too. And, and I was kind of sitting on the edge of my seat and I was watching as some of our best players were making plays and some of their best players were making plays. And the game was not decided until right at the very end, in the last few seconds of the game, one of their best players went to take a shot, and one of our best players blocked his shot, picked up the ball, threw it to the other end of the court. Another one of our players picked it up, dunked it home, two points, it extended the lead. There was no way they could score enough points in the short amount of time to come back and win. And we all kind of let out this incredible squeal. We broke the noise ordinance there at the condo, I, I hate to say. Listen, squeal, squeal, scream. I mean, we were excited. We just kind of let out a huge deep breath of just, I mean, the game is over. We, we did not leave our condo, but we won the national championship, and we were so excited. Well, a few days later, something interesting happened. I was flipping through the channels on my television, and I saw that the game was being replayed on TV. So I did what any great sports fan would do. I watched it again. <laughs> but something interesting happened as I was watching that game. The last few minutes of that game, it was tight. 
The score was close. It was back and forth. And I wasn't nervous a bit. Why? Because I knew the outcome. The first time I was nervous because I didn't know how the game was going to play out. I didn't know if we were going to win or we were going to lose. And I was nervous. But this time when I was watching, I knew that we were going to win. So I wasn't nervous. I was watching with excitement as the game played out. The Knowing the outcome took out the emotion for me. And I'm afraid on days like this, for some of us, that's what happens. We know the outcome, and so we lose the emotional connection to the day. Now, maybe not everybody. Maybe you're excited about the day. Maybe you've been singing and worshiping, and you're so excited to spend the day with maybe family or friends or other activities. But I don't want to assume that everybody in the room is a Christ follower, that you even know what Easter is all about I believe that Easter is a celebration of the the person of Jesus Christ who came to the earth to live. He claimed to be the Son of God, and he lived this sinless, blameless life here on earth. And yet he still was accused, he was arrested, he was beaten, and he was eventually crucified on a cross. And then after he died on that cross, they put him into the tomb. They put him into the grave And a few days later, when his followers came to visit the body there and to even prepare the body with some spices and things, they came, and he was gone. And after those days, he began appearing. Even though he had died, he began appearing to those that were followers of his. And so when we celebrate Easter, we are celebrating that Jesus Christ was dead and he is now alive, that he came back from the dead. And maybe you say to me, well, that's... That's a little difficult to believe, Jeremy. That, that's, that's a little tough for me to explain. And so, you know, it's kind of unexplainable. And so I'm not sure that I can believe it. And what I would say to you today is that you shouldn't allow the unexplainable to rob you of the undeniable. You shouldn't allow what is unexplainable to cause you to miss what is undeniable because there's so much truth in the story of God and in the Bible that I believe is undeniable that you shouldn't have to miss some of those things just because of those instances that you think are unexplainable. Now, Thomas Jefferson was similar to that. Thomas Jefferson's one of those you know, great historical figures in the history of our country, and he really liked the person, Jesus. He liked the teachings of Jesus. He liked the idea that he said some great things. He came. He was a revolutionary. Thomas Jefferson identified with that. He was a great teacher. He was a great man. And so what he did is he took the Bible... And he cut out all of the words of Jesus Christ that he liked. He took all the teachings, all the sayings, all the things that Jesus declared. He cut those out and he pasted them into another book. And he made his own Bible, which he called the life and morals of Jesus of Nazareth. It was later referred to as the Jefferson Bible. But he took out, he did not cut and paste anything into his Bible that was miraculous, that was supernatural, that could not be explained with human Understanding. So I want you to think about this. Maybe you're somebody like Thomas Jefferson. You like the person of Jesus. You've got no problem with what he said or what he taught, but you don't really like the miracles. You don't like the supernatural. Think about the fact that Thomas Jefferson had a Bible talking about this guy, Jesus, who came and lived life on earth, and he died on the cross and stayed dead. That's the guy that Thomas Jefferson was worshiping. Now, maybe you've never cut and pasted your own Bible. 
But maybe you have believed in a God that you could rationally understand all of the things he said, but you left aside all of the things that seemed unexplainable. Well, that's what we come to today with Easter. We come to one of those unexplainable kinds of miraculous, supernatural things about Jesus that we want to dive into. Our theme today, our topic is this idea of remember And we want to look back and we want to remember the things that Jesus did as it relates to the resurrection. Because the resurrection is that he really did very supernaturally raise from the dead and appear to those that were his followers and other people in that day and time. And that the fact that he's alive means that we too can be alive. But I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. So if you got a Bible, I'd love for you to flip with me to John chapter 20. John is the fourth gospel. It's the fourth book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John is one of those four accounts that we read about the life and ministry of Jesus here on earth. And we've been in the book of John for the last four or five, maybe six weeks, looking at some things about the life of Jesus. And I want to stay there today for the, the Easter story in John chapter 20. We're going to read verse 1 and 2, and then we're going to jump down to verse 11. If you don't have a Bible, these scriptures will be up on the screen today. It says this in verse 1 of John 20. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Skip to verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them all he had said these things to her. Now, I love so much about the John account of the resurrection. One of the verses that we didn't read between verses 3 and verse 10 uh, tells us about a foot race. We saw a little bit of that depicted on the video, that John and Peter got into a race. They ran like the 100-meter dash from wherever they were to the tomb that, that morning. And so they take off running. And I love that John wants everybody to know that he's faster than Peter. Because a few of those verses, he's like, hey, you know, we were racing, you know, Peter and the disciple that Jesus loved the most, which is John. Hey, we were racing and we got to the tomb and it almost makes it sound like he had enough time to like eat a snack while he waited on Slowpoke Peter to get to the tomb to see what he had already seen. And so he waits around. But I also love that Mary is included in this gospel account. I love that Mary's story uh, is included here because she is such an important figure in the gospel narrative. This is not Mary, the mother of Jesus. This is a different Mary, but she's so important because we see her kind of come up in different places of the Gospels. And I love that it's her testimony that really declares that Jesus has risen from the dead. If you were trying to tell somebody something important in that day and time, you would want to use a very credible witness. 
You wouldn't want to use somebody that when other people heard them say it, they would believe that person. Well, if you were crafting this narrative, I don't know that you would have chosen Mary Magdalene because of who she was and what she represented, but also because she was just a woman in general. There were several women in the other gospel accounts that were a part of those early uh, followers that saw Jesus or gave testimony to the risen Lord. And in that day and time, the testimony of a woman was inadmissible in a court of law. It didn't matter what she said she had seen or what she said she had experienced. It, it, it didn't count for anything. And so the fact that the gospels use Mary and other women like her to share that Jesus was raised from the dead is an important part of this story, but I also love verses 15 and 16. We already read it, but I want us to read it one more time. This is Jesus speaking to her. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? And thinking that he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Now, her response to him, Rabbani, was not just her saying, teacher, you were my teacher, like if you bumped into your third grade teacher at Walmart today. That's not what we're talking about here. This is a very personal term of endearment where she is saying to you, you are the teacher that I am putting, building my life upon. You're, you're the one who is declaring the truths that I am centering my universe around. This was a term of endearment that she was saying. There is a connection between us. She recognized him, but she recognized him because he had stated one simple word, Mary. He called her by her name. Science tells us that the most beautiful sound to an infant, once they're old enough to know their name or having heard their name, is the sound of their name. They, they've hooked infants up to uh, these little machines that are way more sophisticated than I could even understand, much less explain, and they measure brain waves and brain activity. And once they've heard their name and know their name, when their name is called to them, their brain goes crazy. They're so excited. It, it's beyond any other stimulus that you can expose them to, any other sound that, or, or sight that they could see. Their brain just lights up when someone calls them by their name. Well, you don't have to be an infant for that to happen. When you get older, you ever bumped into somebody and you didn't think they would remember you for anything and they called you by your name and you're like, are you stalking me? How, how do you know my, I didn't know we were that close of friends. I, I didn't, or maybe you've been in a situation where you saw somebody and you remembered their name and so you just, hey, Steve, how you doing? And they're like, whoa, 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 you remember my name? It's exciting. It does something, you, you hear your name and it just, it does something to you because someone remembered you. Someone knew who you were because names are important to us. Jesus called her by name. She didn't even recognize him until he said to her, Mary. Last week, we talked about the story of Lazarus. Lazarus was this guy that was friends with Jesus, and he got sick, and they sent word to Jesus, and Jesus loved him so much that he delayed in coming and so he eventually shows up after Lazarus has not just gotten sick, but actually died. And he's been dead now for several days. And Jesus talks to Lazarus' sisters, and he says, I'm going to raise him from the dead. And he walks toward the tomb where Lazarus is buried, and he says, Lazarus, come out. Now, I've heard this preached a lot of ways, and it's been preached way better than I could preach it. But I heard when I was about 13 or 14, a man preach that Jesus had to call Lazarus by name because if not, when he stood in front of that grave and just said, come out, every dead body in the tomb would have been raised from the dead. 
Now, I don't know if that's true or not. I'm not near smart enough, but I'm telling you, that's incredible preaching. And so Jesus, knowing the power that was within him, looks at that tomb and said, none of the rest of y'all, Lazarus, come out, right? I love that. He calls him by name. There's something very personal and specific that he's trying to accomplish in that moment when he says, Lazarus, I know your name. I know your circumstance. I know your situation. I want to change that circumstance. Come out of death back into life. I love that. Jesus calls Mary by her name, Mary. Names are important. Names are how we remember one another. They're how we remember so many of the experiences that we have in our lives. Think about these experiences that you have in your life, the memories, the things that you've done, the things that you've accomplished. Think about those. How many of those include the names of other people? Probably a lot. You've probably done some things by yourself that you're proud of. But if you think back in life to some of the things that you're most proud of or the things that you had the most fun doing, I would bet that there's a lot of those that include the names and stories of other people. I met my wife when we were 13, and we were friends for several years. When we were 16, we dated for a short period of time. Then we broke up, and then we went to college, and I patiently waited while she dated a whole bunch of losers. <laughs> and I think we'll strike that from the podcast, but she dated some people that she shouldn't have been dating, and I waited patiently until her eyes were awakened to me. <laughs> I dated some other people I probably shouldn't have dated during that same season. But there's so many experiences since I was 13 years old that include the name Corey. Things that we've done together. Fun things. Not so fun things. We got married. We had kids. We, we experienced life together. There's so many fun things and so many experiences that if I were to tell you the story, I would have to say her name to tell you the story or it would be incomplete. Over the last five plus years since we started this, this campus, this church, so many of your names are included in the stories that I would tell because of the things that we've experienced together. Your names are important to even be able to tell the story. And that's so exciting because names are important and they help us to remember what we have Experience. The problem for a lot of us is that we have a name. We were given a name at birth. It was on our birth certificate. And we were given that name, but that's not really the name we go by anymore. I'm not talking about you legally changed your name. You have every right to do that. I'm talking about you have just adopted the name that someone gave you at some point along the way that identifies with something that you did that you're not proud of. They gave you a name. They labeled you. They, they gave you this badge to wear almost your own scarlet letter that says, this is your identity because this is what you did. This is your identity. This is your name. This is what you'll be known by because this is all you're good for. You, you don't go by the name that you've been given. You go by the name that someone else gave you because that's what they said you're worth. That's what they said is your identity. And that's all that you know to go by anymore because you've been called that name for so long. That little devil on your shoulder keeps bringing it up time and time again. And so you're left to think that my identity is all about my past experiences and my guilt and my shame and my condemnation and the, the memories that I have of all the things that I've done that I'm not proud of. And so these are all hypothetical, of course, but maybe your given name at birth was Chris, but for a long time you were just known as a drunk. Maybe your name at birth was Brett, but years ago somebody told you that you were a mistake, 
And so that's what you think your identity actually is. Maybe on your birth certificate it says the name Sarah. But you allowed some people a long time ago to call you by some ugly names. And you didn't know what to do, so you started dressing the part, and you can't even remember what your real name is anymore. Maybe your given name is Crystal, but you don't go by that anymore. You just know that you are an utter failure at life. You don't use the name that was given to you. You use use the name that identifies what you're ashamed of. Reminds me of a story about a man who went to a pet store and met a parrot. All parrot stories are funny, so feel free to laugh whenever you want to. Guy walks into a pet store and he sees a parrot. The parrot looks at him and kind of nods his head. The guy walks over to the parrot and the parrot looks right at him. He said, you are the ugliest man I have ever seen in my entire life. The man is angry. He says to the owner, you're not going to believe what this parrot said to me, and and I don't think that I like that, and you need to do something about it. The, the, The manager says, sir, I'm so sorry. I'll take care of it. I apologize. It'll never happen again. The man leaves. The manager looks at the parrot and says, don't you ever do that to any customer again, especially not to that man. A couple weeks later, the guy shows back up at the pet store. He walks in. That parrot sees him coming. Parrot nods at him. Guy walks over to the parrot. Parrot looks right at him and said, You are the ugliest man I have ever seen in my entire life. The man is livid. He's so angry. He calls the manager over. He says, sir, I cannot believe you would allow this to happen in your store. And if you don't do something about this, I'm never coming back to your pet store. And I'm going to tell everybody that I know never to come back to your pet store. You need to do something about this. The manager picks up the parrot, shakes him, puts him. He says, if you ever say that ever again, I promise you, I will kill you. Puts the parrot back up on his stoop. The man storms out of the pet shop. A few weeks later, the guy comes back to the pet store. He walks in and he looks around. He sees that parrot. That parrot sees him. Parrot looks right at him, kind of nods his head. Guy walks over to the parrot. Parrot looks right at him and says, You know. (laughs) Now that's a funny story. Here's the problem. Some of you came in this morning, and you heard people singing, and so you started singing. You saw people lifting their hands in worship, and so you lifted your hands in worship. And all the while, the enemy said in your mind, you know. You know how bad you are. You know what you've done. Man, if the people in this room knew who you actually were, as you try to sing and worship and act like you fit in in some kind of church, you know, right? That voice of the enemy that speaks to you and reminds you of everything that you've ever done doesn't allow you to stand and participate in moments where you are worshiping a God who is concerned with who you are and who you are becoming because the enemy is constantly trying to remind you of who you used to be. You know. You know, and some of us get trapped in that, and we can't ever escape the cycle of just, I know. 
I'll never be more than this. I'll never account for more than this. I'll never become more than this. This is my identity. This is who I am. And I pray nobody ever finds out, and I hope new people never find out. And I, I'm ashamed of it, but it's, it's just who I am. I know. I, I know this is my identity. This is who I am, and nobody can change that except that that's not the voice of God in your life. Because the enemy knows your name but calls you by your sin, and God knows your sin and he calls you by your name. Right? Because the enemy is constantly bringing your past into your present to rob you of your future. But God is trying to help you see that your past doesn't matter when you give it to him. He has a future for you. Like That's the important thing about God. That's the value that God sees in you. In John eleven thirty five, 35, Jesus made an interesting statement. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He didn't say, I did resurrection. He didn't say, I'm going to do resurrection. He didn't say resurrection's an event. He says, no, 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 I am the resurrection and the life. The resurrection is not an event. It's a person. He's saying, if you know me, you know resurrection power. If you know me, if you enter into relationship with me, if you will take me, I am life. I am the resurrection. I can bring all the dead things in your life back to life. I can help you to find your future. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. If you are in Christ, the old has gone, the new is here. That's like saying the old is dead and the new is alive. You don't have to be who you were. God can make you new. So you say, well, I used to be a drunk, but now I'm free. I used to be a cheat, but now I'm faithful. I used to be an addict, but now I'm clean. I used to be a mistake, but now I have purpose. I used to be a sinner, but now I am saved. And here's the amazing thing about Easter Sunday. Here's the amazing thing about Easter Sunday. Where the enemy is trying to help you remember all of those things that you wish you could forget... There is a truth about God that I'm not sure we know. I'm not sure we even realize it. As we walk around every day doing life, trying to figure out how to live, there's an amazing truth that's found in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12. It says, For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. The enemy is the one who keeps bringing up your sins. When you give those sins to God... He chooses to forget them. Like, he could remember a lot of things, but he chooses not to remember your sins, and he remembers something else instead. So if he chooses to forget your sins, what is he choosing to remember? He remembers your name. He calls you by your name. The Bible tells us that he takes your name. When you accept him as Lord and Savior of your life, when you receive the free gift of salvation and you trust him with your life and you ask him to forgive your sins, he forgets your sins and he takes your name and he writes it down in what is called the book of life. And the book of life is the instrument that will be used on the day of judgment according to the Bible. 
when he is trying to determine who has trusted him with their life, he looks at that book and he doesn't see your sins. He only sees your name. That's what he remembers. How do you want to be remembered? You want to be remembered by your sins? You want to be remembered by your mistakes? You want to be remembered by your regrets? Or do you want to give those things to Jesus Christ and allow him to forget those things and only remember your name? That's the question on this Easter Sunday. I'm going to ask you right where you're seated there just to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. We're not going to sneak up on you. We're not going to do anything to freak you out. We're just going to give you an opportunity to just spend a moment here just maybe praying, maybe searching your heart, looking for those things in your life and your heart that maybe don't line up with who you're trying to become and who you're trusting God to be. And if you would say to me right now with every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody's looking around, if you'd say, you know what, Jeremy, I just... I hear what you're saying, and I want this to be a day that I'll remember forever. I want to receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I want him to forget my sins, and I want him to remember my name. I want to acknowledge that I've fallen short and I've made some mistakes, and I would say to all of you right now that the Bible tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You're in great company today. But I would also say to you that it's you making a decision to receive the free gift of salvation and trusting God with your life. And if that's you right now with nobody looking around, if you just want to lift your hand right where you're at to acknowledge that, you can put it right back down. Thank you so much. Anybody else? Thank you so much. Anybody else? Thank you so much. Anybody else? Thank you so much. And now if you say, hey, you know what, it's not a salvation issue for me today, but I want to make sure that I'm living a life that reflects the power of Easter. That Jesus came from death to life. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. I want to be a representative of the resurrection everywhere that I go. I want to speak life. I don't want to speak death. Every relationship, on my job, in my school, in my home, I want to speak life into every area that I possibly can. I want to live out Easter every single day. Would you just lift your hand right where you're at? tons of hands and put them right back down. God, we thank you today for the opportunity to respond to the gospel, to respond to the power of Easter. Right now, I pray for every person that lifted their hands. I thank you, God, for so many people in this service that lifted their hands as there have been in each of our other two services today to just respond to the call for salvation. We believe that you offer it to us freely. And so, God, we thank you for the chance to do that. And now we receive that free gift. We say thank you for forgiving our sins. And thank you, God, for becoming our Lord. And so, God, every single day from this moment forward, we'll live our lives to please and honor you, but not to earn more of your love because you give it to us freely, but just to reflect the love that we receive from you. So, God, thank you today for salvation for so many. And, God, now we pray for every hand that was lifted that they want to live out the power of Easter. They want Easter to happen every single day in and through them as they just, they are the resurrection and the life, that power that comes from you. God, that they speak life into their relationships and in their homes and in their schools and on their jobs. They wouldn't speak death. They wouldn't be somebody that's dragging people down. But God, they're lifting people up in your name for your glory and for your honor. And God, we thank you for that. And God, we thank you for an incredible day of celebration across this campus all day long.
God, we thank you for what you've done. We thank you that you are the only one that can do what's been done today. And God, we ask you to help us to continue to expand your kingdom, both here and abroad. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening today. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash cantonchurchga. 